and they would be actually C plus plus and not EQ. It's one of those, um, Peter is one of those people in the Bible that are, are probably my favorite. Um, uh, we, we like a lot about our friends. So um, the making of a disciple and uh, Peter in specific was a lot of fun to study and, and to look into. So today's lesson is uh, going to be a lesson on reverence. And I've asked a few of the men uh, here to read some passages of scripture. Um, as I go through them, just, you know, they're very similar. They're the same story, but notice the differences in them. Um, so first we'll ask Woody to read Matthew 17, verses 1 through 8. And after six days, Jesus spoke of Peter, James, and John, his brother, and then they came up into a high mountain apart. And they transfigured before him. And his face was shining like the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. Behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, is it good for us to be here? If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. When the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and be not afraid. But when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen from dead from the dead. Thank you. Um, I'll say that this is not really part of the lesson, but one of the things I think that we often don't do when we read the scripture, uh, and I try to do, when, especially when I'm studying for something like this, is put myself in this position and, and just wonder what it was like to be there and to see that and to be, be looking at, at the, the glory of the Lord and, and Moses, Moses and Elijah, and then to have a cloud descend upon you and a voice come out of the cloud. It's pretty awesome if you think about it. But uh, Roger, if you will read Mark 9, 1 through 9. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that till the Son of Man will stand in the way which shall not taste of death, till there have come the kingdom of God, come with power. And after six days Jesus spoke with them Peter, James, and John, and leaveth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow. There was no sin or murder found out thereof. And there appeared unto them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. So let us make three, three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But he wist not what to say. They were sore afraid, and there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And suddenly, when they had looked round about, they saw no man any more, save Jesus only with himself. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen, till the Son of Man was risen from the dead. All right. And David, if you will read Luke 9, 28 through 34. <laughs> 
So, the, as I just said, the transfiguration of Christ was a monumental experience, uh, and, and in the life of Peter specifically. And as Christ transfigured and appeared in his glory before the three of them, Peter, James, and John. So this lesson studies Peter's presence at the transfiguration and his response to this moment. Um, while many applications could be made from this story, Perhaps the most important lesson learned from this story, and from Peter in specific, is the importance of godly reverence. So to reverence Christ is a key attribute of committed followers of Christ. So the education of the disciple continues here. It seems that um, Christendom and the culture as a whole has become increasingly more casual and reckless. Um, and obviously it wasn't safe. This is, you know, for the parents in here that, that have children still uh, in the home, this is one of the most important lessons that we can teach our kids is to have reverence for authority in general, but uh, for God in specific, but even, you know, even to the point of the teachers, any authority that you have, we, we need to um, encourage and uh, influence our kids to be reverent and not ever encourage them to be unreverent or disrespectful of authority and power. Because when we do that, um, we are we are setting them up to be disrespectful of all authority and the one true authority in God. So the study of the scripture shows the importance of honoring and reverence for the Lord. The psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Psalms 46.10. The prophet Malachi conveyed the words of God in Malachi 1.6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts. These passages clearly convey that God is deserving of honor. When the disciples asked the Lord to teach them to pray, the first thing he taught them 
with reverence. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In today's society, honor is given to many things and to many people. Reverence is very depraved, much less so. But God desires and deserves honor above all else. So in our culture today, can anybody think of any places where we give honor that's probably not the way it is? Sports. Sports. Sports, that's a good one. We lift up athletes and, and make them idols and, and you know honor those guys. Uh, you know, LeBron James or whoever your favorite athlete, Boston, everybody would be all buzz and you know, wow. That's a that's a good one. Um, Hollywood. Hollywood mm-hmm. actors. Don't think they're much less deserving group for honor, but yes. Um, Hollywood. <clears throat> but let's think of people that maybe deserve a, you know, not this level of honor, but deserve our respect and thanks. Um, we might lift up the office of the president. Uh, we might lift up the governor or the mayor, you know, politicians, those kind of things, people that, that are important in our life or our boss at work, right? But um, God deserves and desires honor above everything else. So Isaiah delivers God's proclamation. I am the Lord. That is my name, and my glory will I not give to them. Tests showed Jesus teaching the Apostle Peter the importance of reverence while on the Mount of Transfiguration. And it's a lesson that we can learn new today. So point one, the Lord's program. Often in the Gospels, Jesus invited his inner circle disciples, Peter, James, and John, away from the other men and the demands of the ministry to special opportunities that enabled them to focus <laughs> Luke's account mentions that they went up into the mountain for the specific purpose of praying. And Matthew simply states that Jesus brought them up into a high mountain apart. From this example to notice, we see that you know effective prayer time often involves separating oneself from the hustle and bustle of daily life, and even from family and friends. Let's take a look at Matthew 6, verses 5 through 6 here. And the Bible says, when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corner of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. I don't know, I remember as a kid sometimes being in a few services that somebody would be called on to pray, and boy, could they wax eloquent, you know? They would go on and on and on, and, and, and that's not the way we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to be trying to bring glory to ourselves. We're supposed to, you know, there's nothing wrong with public prayer as we do in the church today, but um, if you're trying to draw attention to yourself, there is a problem. And God is not calling us to a meeting like the one he had with Peter, but he does invite us to come into his presence every day. And it's important that we separate ourselves from the business of, of everyday life, from work, from family, from just with the things going around us, and take time to hear from the Lord and to bask in the glory of his presence. So letter A, the conference. So I'm gonna read uh, Matthew 17, one through three again. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. So it, one of the things that I noticed while I was studying this is mountains are often associated with closeness to God in the Bible and readiness to receive his word. 
Um, God appeared, speaking of the two that appeared with Christ, Moses and Elijah, God appeared to both Moses in Exodus 24 and Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19 on mountains. Interesting. And he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with them. And while we don't know the precise mountains that this happened on, um, what is referred to here is the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, the Lord, his face and raiment bright as the sun itself, beamed personally with Moses and Elijah. And throughout the New Testament, the scribes and the Pharisees gave the utmost reverence to the trio of uh, Abraham, Moses, and Elijah. And Peter was soon to learn that Christ uh, deserved reverence even above these men who they so looked up to over the years. The Lord deserved honor on a much higher level than even the patriarchs represented by Abraham, the lawgiver represented by Moses, and the prophets represented by Elijah. What a privilege it must have been for you know, Peter, James, and John, and even Moses and Elijah to have this time of communion with Christ, the Son of God, the Most High. I say it's hard to even imagine. Yet, in this privilege, we, we have equal status with those who are counted among the most godly of men. We realize that, that we have the opportunity to talk to Christ the way that Moses and Elijah did. In fact, we're invited to come boldly before the throne of grace that we may receive what we need from the hand of our Heavenly Father. We don't need to be timid or hesitant or you know, bashful or, or shy to do that either. We're unworthy. All of us are completely uh, unworthy. But we are the sons of God. Joint heirs with Christ. Amen. And our communion with him was God's desire from the foundation of the world. That's why we were created, to have communion with him. This is the way it was meant to be, and because of the Savior, that's the way it can be, if we'll only accept that invitation. Romans 8, 31 through 32 says, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And then Revelation 22, 17 says, And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. You know, um, this reminds me of something that we, as most of you know, Ben and I like to travel quite a bit, and, and um, we like to fly uh, to far-off destinations and visit. Uh, I wish that we were able to fly first class, wouldn't I? Um, but years ago, I think that it used to be different. Uh, if you were going to fly first class, you, you, you didn't really... There were different ways to do it. There were empty seats, so you could dress up, you could... You could Say the right things to just visit with some chocolate or something, you know, and maybe get my bumpy up to first class. It's not like that anymore. Um, you don't get to first class unless you pay for it. But the the thing about that is, it doesn't matter what you're dressed like if you're in Christ, the type of person you are. If you pay for that seat, you get that seat, and that's 
But it's the, the beautiful thing about being a Christian. Jesus paid that price. And we get that fellowship intimately with God. Um, it's a privilege that we shouldn't take for granted. Um, that brings us to letter B, the cross. Luke 9, uh, verses 32-31 says, And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. And while the lives of both Moses and Elijah were um, ones that had significant impact upon the Jewish people and, and Christendom as a whole, Peter was going to soon learn that the essential event in all history was going to be the crucifixion um, and later the resurrection of Christ in three days. In our last lesson uh, about being a disciple in Peter, um, we saw that Peter was brought to understand forcefully that this had to occur no matter how he felt personally. Um, here we see that the death of the Lord described as something that he was going to accomplish in Luke 9.31. This word translated accomplish, according to Strong's Concordance, means to fulfill or to carry through to the end. And it's pretty awesome and wonderful that Jesus said those words from the cross to his friends. It was brought to an end. In Hebrews chapter 10, we learn that the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary fulfilled and superseded all other sacrifices. This was the ultimate purpose of them all. The duties of the Old Testament priests considered and foreshadowed what Christ was going to do when the fullness of time had come. And so again, we understand that the cross was the completion or the fulfillment of Jesus' earthly mission. Hebrews 10, 10 through 14 says, by the which, will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering sometimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are and in Galatians 4, 4 through 7, we see, But when the fullness of time is come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them which were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And then this is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God. In Psalms 22 and Isaiah, Isaiah 53, uh, I think most of us know uh, what those chapters pertain to. We see the suffering and death of Christ on Calvary prophesied in a graphic fashion. And then we see that in, in regarding Gethsemane in Matthew chapter 26, it says, And he went a little further and fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, O oh my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And then in verse 42, he went away again for the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And then in 53, thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? 
but how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? Which brings us to uh, point number two, the disciples proposal. You know, it must have been a pretty breathtaking experience for the disciples to see the Son of God transfigured before their very eyes. And the Word of God says that his face was shining as the sun and his raiment was white as the light of the snow. And in Matthew 17, 2, he was transfigured before them and his face was shining as the sun and his raiment was white as the light. And his raiment became shining exceedingly white as snow, so no fuller on earth than that one. And then again in Luke 9, 29, and as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistening. The transliteration of the Greek word used here for transfigured is metamorpho. And of course, we get our the English word metamorphosis from that word. And we often use this to describe uh, a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. Um, and this kind of signifies that there was a complete change here. They had, you know, the disciples had seen Jesus for years now as a man walking among them. I mean, they knew that he was God, but they had seen him as a man walking among them. And now they were seeing him much as they as much as they could with their mortal eyes in his glory. The personal experience of the glory of God had a remarkable effect on Moses, as I mentioned earlier, when he uh, visited the side of the mountain. Exodus 33, 17 through 23 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing, also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and, if it, sh and it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back part, but my face shall not be seen. And then further, in Exodus 34, verses 5 through 8, And the Lord descended in the cloud, and stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children into the third and fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. You know, notice in showing himself to Moses, he did not give Moses a vision of his power and judgment, but rather of his love. God's glory was revealed goodness, truth, forgiveness, and justice. People think of the God of the Old Testament many times as a God of wrath. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And those, those words are the very heart of God's nature. Exodus 34, 29, 30 through 35 says, And it came to pass when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, that Moses looked not 
that the sin of his race shone in his mother's helplessness. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And Moses, until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he put the veil off until he came out. And he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. And I think it's important that, you know, we see here that Moses' face was shining, right? We don't, when we, when we have a relationship with God, our face may not shine, but the people around us, if we're in a good walking relationship with the Lord, they're going to notice um, that about us. They're going to see a difference in us. They will see God's glory shining upon us. And we, they can see the effect in your life. So I think it's important that we realize that and we don't think that we can have that power and that effect upon our lives without spending that time with him. Amen. So undoubtedly, these three disciples were awestricken when they beheld that glory. But, you know, as happened on multiple occasions with Peter, Peter didn't remain silent for very long. That brings us to point A, the truth. The very first thing that Peter said um, was actually a wonderful response to, a, to this experience. It was properly stated, and it was absolutely accurate. He said, all three gospel accounts quote Peter as saying, Master, it is good for us to be here. And that was a true statement. Have you ever experienced situations in life where you would say that it is good for us to be here? Do you truly, truly appreciate what God is doing when those moments are happening? Or is it something that maybe you only see later down the road? I think it's a, a wise man who recognizes that the time something spiritual is happening when, when God's voice is moving. Um, the Spirit of God could move in a, a church service, like I know that many of us have felt that here in, in church services, a camp service, a special, even a special meeting between two individuals. Um, yet often I think sometimes believers are unaware that God is moving in the room. And that's, uh, that's pretty sad. One of God's, I think one of God's greatest sorrows is that his own people have come to take him for granted. We see proof of this in Malachi 6, 1, 6 through 14, where God chastises the priests for not giving proper honor to his house in his plan. You know, they had long ago lost their sense of reverence for God. Worship and service had become simply a job or work a burden. And I, I think that Sometimes that can happen with us as Christians, you know, and especially when we're involved in a lot of ministries at church and we, we do a lot of things as, as you know, we're, we're human, we're, we're flesh and blood, but we have to remember that what we're doing and who we're doing it for. Malachi 1, 6 through 14 says, A son honoreth his father and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts unto you? O priest that despise my name. And ye say, Wherein have we despised thee? Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, The table of the Lord 
it acceptable. And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? And I think I'm going to pause right here and say that, you know, it was, it was well uh, established that the sacrifices for, the, for God were not supposed to be the sick animals or the blind or lame animals. And God points out here, would you give that same animal to the governor? Would you give it to the president or to somebody that here on earth you think deserves being lifted up? No, you wouldn't. And now, verse 9, I pray you, beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. This is saying, by your means, will he regard your person, saith the Lord of hosts? Who is there, even among you, that would shut the doors for naught? And who would kindle fire on mine altar for naught? I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hands. For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the very same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place incense shall be offered unto my name. And a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye have profaned it, in that ye say, The table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even the meat, is contemptible. Ye said also, Behold, what a weariness it is, and ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts. And ye have brought that which was born, and the lame, and the sick, thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male and thou and sacrifices unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. So how do we recognize God working in our daily, daily lives? And how can we attribute daily blessing to him as a habit? To do this, it's, it's you know, imperative that we walk in the spirit. We must be sensitive to his leading and responsive to his guidance. And as we draw closer to him and away from negative influences, our perspective changes. We can learn to appreciate God's greatness and blessing in our lives. And in this passage, Peter truly was giving honor to whom honor was due. This ought to be the desire and the burden of the heart of every believer to honor God. Which brings us to point two, the tabernacle. While Peter's first statement was really excellent and, and deserving, he continued to talk. And as often the case with us, he said too much. He impulsively proposed that the tabernacle be built for Moses, Elijah, and the Lord. And Luke describes Peter as not knowing what he said. Peter here would believe that the occasion called for a religious ceremony of some kind. Um, and he was about to find out differently. You know, and, and as I mentioned earlier, Jim and I like to travel, and, and, and our travels to Italy um, seen many, many great and fabulous works of man that were trying to uh, be religious in nature, many of the great cathedrals of Europe, um, and St. Peter's Basilica at the Vatican, or the Duomo in Florence, and, and even smaller churches or, or cathedrals all over Italy. Um, great works of men, some of them taking hundreds of years to build, um, trying to be religious and trying to um, point towards God, but in many cases, uh, the grandiosity of their things were self-serving, and they were 
they were made to honor him as much as they were God. Um, and so I think sometimes we can be guilty of that in our own lives. We can try to substitute uh, works or religious things here at church or whatever um, instead of the of taking part in the privilege of a real relationship with the Lord. The issue here was this. Peter was actually placing Moses and Elijah on the same level uh, and on an equal plane with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In, in Peter's thinking, he thought that each of them deserved the tabernacle and was entitled to being lifted up. And again, as we saw in our last lesson, Peter seemed to have lost sight of who he had acknowledged Jesus to be. He had tried to keep Christ from going to the cross, and now he was unwittingly, but still doing it, denying Christ his rightful place in history. He was lacking in the proper reverence for the Lord, and he was about to receive another necessary lesson in this course of his education as a disciple. Point three, the Father's talking. So one of the, the central um, doctrines of all of Christianity is that Jesus is God. Jesus himself attested to being a part of the triune God when he said, I and my father are one in John 10 verse 30. And this was a truth that people living during this time, um, and during the time that Jesus lived and, and today's lived as well, um, the scribes and the Pharisees back then refused to accept. John 10 verses 31 through 33 says, And then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For good works we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, thinkest thyself God. Still, in all three gospel accounts that we read earlier uh, this morning, uh, in, in today's story, God the Father himself proclaimed Jesus to be his beloved son. Letter A, Peter the Son. When Christ was baptized by John in the Jordan River, God the Father stated in an audible voice, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, Matthew 3.17. And on the occasion of this that we're talking about today, the transfiguration of Christ, all three of the gospel accounts include God stating again, This is my beloved Son, and further commanded, Hear him. And with this solemn proclamation, Peter, especially along with James and John, were brought to realize that it was Christ and Christ alone, God's beloved Son, who was to have it towards them. They were not to hear, they were not to hear Moses and Elijah at this time and were never to worship them. Such reverence was to be reserved solely and only for the Lord Jesus Christ. The first step toward victory in the life of every believer is to hear God's word. Indeed, it's also the first step toward salvation itself. Romans 10, 17 states, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. There is no salvation without the word being permitted to do its work in our hearts. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Such reverence was to be, sorry, uh, and faith comes, comes through the hearing of the word of God. Jeremiah 23, 29 says, Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rocks in pieces? Isaiah 55, 10 through 11 says, For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth 
the earth and maketh it bring forth the bud, that it maketh seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that it goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent. Peter, James, and John already heard the audible voice of God the Father. Today, we don't hear God that way, but we do have the written word of God, and he tells us exactly what he wants us to know. God left his word with us today as a living book that speaks to the needs of our hearts. And we should try to listen to it in, in what it says while silencing other voices or other things that try to steal our attention. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of the asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. It is and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And then 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Letter B. we see Christ's definition of a wise man. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. A.W. Tozer explained it this way, it's not just trust, and it's not just obey. It is trust and obey. So, Matthew 7, 24-27, I just read the first couple of verses, but therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house on a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. James 1, 21-25 says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For when he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But those but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. I think it's interesting as we, we look at that, um, verse 24, but he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. How many times, I, I know I've done this myself, how many times have you seen a picture of yourself in the mirror? <laughs> you know, we see ourselves in the mirror every morning when we're getting ready for work or whatever, something from a different angle and it's like oh I didn't know I felt that way so so that was pretty good um, the, the uh, it, you know it's been said that if we all looked into the mirror we can all look into the mirror in the morning and um, saw what we looked like and taking care and this went on the world economy would collapse 
because of all the various cosmetics and devices <laughs> that we would get that we no longer need. The victorious Christian life is only experienced by one who both hears and obeys God. It's, it's by it is living by God's word and not merely listening to it that brings blessing to the life of the Christian. Um, and I think, you know, to some of us are, I don't know some of us, but some Christians I should say, um, do that. As they come to church, they, they, they're here pretty much all the time and they hear uh, what they're supposed to be doing. But then they go home and don't plan to do it. And, and you can't live a, a true Christian life without doing as well as God. The pages of God's word are filled with stories of those who obeyed God and were in turn both used and blessed and also with sad accounts of those who chose to do the opposite. While the choice to follow God in obedience is an easy one for us to make, um, it still runs contrary to our nature. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And God's answer for this problem is for us to crucify the flesh daily. 1 Corinthians 15.31 says, I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. In Galatians 2 verse 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And this reverence is just a baseline reverence that we need to have. It's not a feeling or a mood, but a choice that needs to be renewed daily. And a choice that leads to a transformed life and a true state of discipleship. This is the education, not just of the head, but of the heart and of the will. Would we be a disciple of Christ? And if so, we need to learn the lesson of reverence. These passages on the transfiguration of the Lord help us to see Christ as the God man and help us to realize that he is Lord of all and above all. He alone is worthy of our reverence. And this is something that, that uh, I learned from my dad uh, as a child. He, uh, as most of you know, was a pastor most of my life. And he didn't allow people to call him reverend. He said there's only one who's deserving to be called reverend. The story uh, that we study today also helps us understand that we must choose to not only hear God, but also to obey him. The writer, the writer of Hebrews said that we ought to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, and he would be accepted for us. And in Psalms 89, verse 7, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints, and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. Father, we thank you so much that being that created the universe and that created each of us allows us to have access and to be able to approach the throne of grace. Thank you for your salvation. I pray that each of us would learn to be reverent and to, to reverent and to put you in a proper perspective in our lives. That you are above all. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.